right at this time, if you could grab your Bibles, children, you are dismissed with Miss Joy to jump start. There is a mass running out of the building. I'm seeing some people that are a little too old to go to jump start running out the building as well. Mark brings me the pulpit. If you would turn in your Bibles to Second Chronicles, and you're going to turn all the way nearly to the end. Hey, Mark. Thanks, bro. Um, if you would turn to chapter 36, we're going to be looking at verses 11 through the end of the chapter. Verse, uh, chapter 36 of Second Chronicles, beginning at verse 11. If you would stand, if you are able to show respect for God's word as it's read this morning. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord his God. He did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet who spoke from the mouth of the Lord. He also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, who made him swear by God. He stiffened his neck and hardened his heart against turning to the Lord, the God of Israel. All the officers of the priests and the people likewise were exceedingly unfaithful, following all the abominations of the nations, and they polluted the house of the Lord that he had made holy in Jerusalem. The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by his messengers, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words and scoffing at his prophets, until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people, until there was no remedy. Therefore he brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans, who killed their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary, and had no compassion on young man or virgin or old man or aged. He gave them all into his hand. And all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and his princes, all these he brought to Babylon. And they burned the house of God and broke down the wall of Jerusalem and burnt all its palaces with fire and destroyed all its precious vessels. He took into exile in Babylon those who had escaped the sword, and they became servants to him and to his sons until the establishment of the kingdom of Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. All the days that it lay desolate, it kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia. So he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put in writing, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may the Lord his God be with him. Let him go up. May God bless and add his understanding to the reading of his holy word. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated and let's pray again together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word as true today as it has always been. Difficult though it may be at times to understand, we know that Holy Spirit, you open it to us. We pray today you will open our hearts and our minds to receive from you what you would want us to learn. This and more we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, welcome again to Jacksonville Presbyterian Church on this Pentecost Sunday. 
I noticed some of you got the memo and are wearing red. The cloth on the cross, if you can see it back there, is red. There's only one Sunday a year. It goes that color, uh, and it will change again by next Sunday. But it is Pentecost Sunday, the day we remember uh, the Holy Spirit coming in power and beginning what we now know as the church, the Christian church. And I'm excited for us to continue our sermon series, Whole, where we're taking one book of the Old Testament per week and deep deep diving, diving deep, one of those, into God's Word and looking at an overview of a particular book of the Old Testament. I'm Richard Evans. In case you don't know me, I am the Assistant Pastor of Congregational Care here at the church, and we are going to dive, as I say, deep into 2 Chronicles today. Now, if you looked at the end, just the end of 2 Chronicles, and you read the reading I read this morning, but didn't read the last couple of verses, you might be forgiven for thinking this was kind of like a disaster movie, a bad ending disaster movie. Anybody a fan of disaster movies? Okay, talk to me afterwards. Um, (laughs) But we're going to see one of those after the credit scenes. How many of you stay at the movies now through the credits in case there's an extra scene? Yeah. Okay, I'll give you a heads up. There's a website called After the Credits. As soon as the credits roll and I can turn my phone back on, I check if there is one. That's a quick heads up for you instead of sitting through it. But there is an After the Credits scene here in those last two verses, and we're going to get there as well. And it kind of changes the whole perspective on uh, what we've just read. It's not quite as disastrous as perhaps it once seemed. Because you might be dismayed, as I say, if you stop at verse 21, you'll see now that the whole of God's people has been taken into exile in other countries. Years before, the ten northern kingdoms that are known as Israel, uh, confusingly, you've got Israel in the north, you've got Judah in the south, but they're both known as Israel. As, uh, yeah. But northern tribes, the ten tribes, have been taken into captivity by Assyria several years before. And now the two southern tribes, as I say, uh, calling themselves Judah, are taken by the Babylonians for a period of 70 years. And it's more than the people being taken out of the promised land that is happening is the fall of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple, the very place where God dwells with his people. And the people must have thought at that moment, there's no way back from this. Indeed, for many of them, there wasn't a way back personally because 70 years is a lifetime. And many that went into exile, if not all of them, would not return. Many of them would die in exile in Babylon. But as I say, before you think it's all doom or gloom, we are fortunate to live as the chronicler, the writer of Chronicles, uh, lived in a time past these events, when God had restored, had brought back, the temple had been rebuilt. And we live in that time too. We live in a very much more hopeful and helpful situation where God has dwelt with his people in the person of Jesus Christ the ultimate king who did not turn away from the Lord, who did not disobey, who was obedient unto death, death on a cross, and is now resurrected, ascended, and waiting to return. And yet, is that the reality that most people live in in the world today, even those who trust and believe in Jesus Christ? We are in a very strange time indeed. 
There are many who have not been able to gather again in worship. There are some who are still isolated and removed. They're kind of in an exile, if you like. This enforced separation from the fellowship of believers has taken a toll even on those who have a strong faith. And today, as I say at first glance, this passage seems disastrous and full of destruction, but I want to suggest that it is actually a hope-filled destruction, exile, and restoration. And that is the title of our message today, a hope-filled destruction, exile, and restoration. A favorite favorite songwriter of mine once wrote these words, I tore it all down to build it back up. The restoration that God has planned is clear from the very outset, and yet it has gotten to the point of no return. And when it comes to this time, the tearing down needs to happen before the restoration can come. So let's take a moment to set the scene. Um, First and Second Chronicles, in the same way, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings. We've been saying this over the last several weeks. Originally, Samuel one book, Kings one book, Chronicles one book. They didn't get divided into parts one and two until they were translated into Greek. So you can see that is, there is a uh, whole of this book, and the beginning, which we see in First Chronicles and into the beginning of Second Chronicles, is about the reign of David and the reign of Solomon, and really it's about the preparation of the temple and God dwelling with his people and the plans for that and it being achieved, the Ark of the Covenant being brought to Jerusalem, the plans, the preparation, and then the completion of the temple in Solomon's reign. However, no sooner had the temple been completed than the roller coaster of the relationship between the kings that follow Solomon and God, the roller coaster begins. The kingdom under David and Solomon had expanded to the largest geographically it ever was. There had been a time of war, certainly, but there had also been a time of prosperity, a time of peace in many ways even when David and Solomon made their own honest and obvious mistakes and sins in their lives. Because what we observe is that David particularly is one who repents, who recognizes what he has done and turns back to the Lord and receives that forgiveness. Not so much with the kings that followed. What happens is not only are the the kingdom divided physically, it's also divided personally. And it divides between people, it divides between the people and God. And in Chronicles, it's almost that it alternates between good king, bad king, good king, bad king, in this respect. And as the kings are representative of the people, you see this ongoing tempestuous relationship between the people and God. And yet time and time and time again, God reaches out and offers grace and forgiveness and restoration. Perhaps the most famous verse that talks about this in, dare I say, the whole Old Testament, but particularly in Second Chronicles here, is Second Chronicles 7, 14. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land." How many times have we as individuals prayed those words? As a church body, 
as a nation, as a church in the whole world. And yet our world, our church, the universal church, the, our families, our communities still see great division. I was reminded just last week when we had uh, new members join our church that one of the promises that we make, one of the vows that we make as members of this particular church and any EPC church, and I'm sure many other churches have similar promises, is to promote the unity, purity, and peace of the church. And that's the church local that you belong to and the church universal that we are a bigger part of. And I would suggest, how do we do this? How do we promote the purity, the unity, the peace of the church? Well, we humble ourselves, we pray, we seek God's face, and we turn from our wicked ways. In a nutshell, repenting. Now, before any of us forget, this is not something we do in our own power. We do so because God gives us the ability and the power to do so, and also the fellowship where we can help one another to do this. No one can repent for us, but we can be encouraged, equipped, and enabled to do so by being a part of the fellowship. We would do well, therefore, to be reminded of the consequences of not doing so, of not repenting, of not following those words in 7.14. Not to be in fear, but to live in the reality of them. As our reading opens, we see that Zedekiah, the king of Judah, when the exile happened, did not repent. He did not become humble or seek the Lord. Let's look at the first few verses, 11 to 14. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord his God. He did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet who spoke from the mouth of the Lord. He also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar who had made him swear by God. He stiffened his neck and hardened his heart against turning to the Lord, the God of Israel. All the officers of the priests and the people likewise were exceedingly unfaithful, following all the abominations of the nations, and they polluted the house of the Lord that he had made holy in Jerusalem. Zedekiah is given the chance to repent from his turning away from the Lord. Jeremiah the prophet has faced him with the reality of the situation from the mouth of the Lord. Now how, you might be saying, does this happen today? We do not have Jeremiah talking to us from the mouth of the Lord. Or do we? We can still read the words of Jeremiah and all the other prophets, all the words of Scripture, and they speak so clearly still today. And whilst many in the world will say the Bible is out of step with the world, as Christians we can clearly see the world is out of step with the Bible. We need and we can humble ourselves, pray, seek the face of the Lord, and turn from our wicked ways. Because although we may never experience exile under a foreign power in our lifetimes, if we forsake the worship of God, we will experience the consequences. While God will not leave us nor forsake us, we too often can run away from him and turn our backs upon him. 
We believe strongly that we cannot give our salvation back once we have received it, but we can certainly experience desolation, destruction, damage to our lives and our communities. And we're called to be the exact opposite of that. We're called to be a blessing in our communities, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, that there is hope and help amidst the chaos that we feel that we are going through. And this chaos can be on the level of a global pandemic that we're experiencing right now that feels so out of our control. Or it could be just the chaotic pieces of our own lives, our own homes, the difficult relationships, the loss of job, the health crisis, the failed exams. Over the past several months of being a hospice chaplain, I've had the incredible blessing and privilege of witnessing the strength of those who have been in the last days of their earthly lives. From those who have a deep abiding faith to those who have no faith at all. And yet God has given me the opportunity to see how he has been at work in those situations to bring hope and comfort to those who are dying and to their loved ones. To be a witness to his grace at the end of life where many consider it just to be an end and others see it as a new beginning. I believe that can be expanded to not only just the end of physical life, but we can see many endings in our lives being new beginnings with God. There are times, just like with the destruction and exile we hear at the end of Chronicles, that, we need, to t- that need to take place in order for new beginnings to start, for restoration that is more than just a return to what was. It's a return to what God had planned in the first place. Something that is much, much better than anything we've ever experienced. Today, you heard from Candy McLean about Stephen Ministry. And uh, we have 16, as I say, Stephen Ministers in training. And uh, if you don't know, this ministry basically walks alongside one-to-one with somebody who's going through a particularly hard time in their lives. Perhaps they're experiencing destruction. They're experiencing some exile in their lives. Their circumstances will all be very different. Uh, Some, it will be a crisis of faith. For others, the loss of a job or a loss loss of a loved one. A divorce, an illness, an upheaval or a change in their lives. In fact, anything that needs somebody else to walk alongside them and help them to process, to come through that experience and draw closer to God. Does that sound like something you have? you are, or you will go through in your life. I want to suggest every one of us has, is, or will be going through something of that nature at some point. And to have somebody to come alongside in that special way is truly a gift from God. So if this describes you, I want to challenge you right now to reach out to myself or Pastor Dustin or one of our Stephen leaders, uh, Peter Yeager or Sid Brown, And uh, as we begin to uh, have the Stephen ministers finish their training in August, they've been at it since January, so you can see it's a long training, um, and we, we want to pair them up. But one thing you need to know, it is completely confidential. So you can reach out knowing in confidence it is confidential. 
Okay, plug over. But you get the point, hopefully, that this is relevant to what we're talking about today. All this to say, we do not have to go through such times of destruction and exile on our own. We are the body of Christ, and we need each other. Remember, the aim is restoration beyond simply returning to that that was before, but to that which is so much better. Verses 15 and 16. The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by his messengers, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words and scoffing at his prophets, until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people, until there was no remedy. There are times when we simply have to go all the way down before we can come back up. And that's hard. It's hard to understand. It's even harder to experience. And the words that stuck out to me as I read through this passage on this occasion in verses 15 and 16 were the words, until there was no remedy. It sounds harsh. It sounds hard. It sounds difficult until I found a quote from C.S. Lewis that was super helpful. It's from The Problem of Pain. And it should be up there on the screen for you in a moment. There it is with a picture of C.S. Lewis. If a million chances are likely to do good, they would be given. But a master often knows when boys and parents do not that it is really useless to send a boy in for a certain examination again. Finality must come sometime, and it does not require very robust faith to believe that omniscience knows when. We see that when the exile comes, it is not because of any particular breaking of a law or a commandment of God. It is because of the refusal of people to receive the forgiveness that is being offered over and over again by God. And this really speaks to the rejection of the gospel message as well. That Christ is the only way to salvation. Jesus himself talks of this when he's promising the Holy Spirit will come to the disciples and in turn to us. And it is the work of the Holy Spirit to convict and convince us of sin, and in particular that sin of rejecting the gospel message. In John 16, 7 to 11, we read these words. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. This is a lesson for Christians. For repentance, really, in its truest sense of the word, is a Christian action. We repent and turn back to God who we have turned away from. John, again, in, in Revelation, in chapters 2 and 3, when he's writing to the churches, really brings this point home. Several times he talks about the need for repentance. And in his first letter, sticking with John, not the gospel this time, not Revelation, but First John chapter 1 verse 9 we read this if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness again first john 1 9 
And that really does echo the words of 2 Chronicles 7.14. If you think about it, it's almost like a New Testament parallel. Maybe John had 2 Chronicles 7.14 in his mind as he wrote uh, his first letter. So, to live through the destruction and the exile that will inevitably be part of our lives and our experience, we need to repent, turn back to God, and be made right with Him. Just a few days ago, I spent time with a person who professed faith in Jesus Christ, had a strong faith, but was fearful. Was fearful that God, even so, was going to send them to hell. So we turned to Scripture. We prayed together. They felt reassured. And three days later, God called that person home. Unexpected to me. I was expecting to see them at least a few more times. All that to say we need to depend on God's word and his promises and turn to it on a regular basis. In the absence of repentance, we see the actions of verses 17 to 21 of our reading. Therefore, he brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans, who killed their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary and had no compassion on young man or virgin, old man or aged. He gave them all into his hand, and all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and of his princes, all these he brought to Babylon. And they burnt the house of, the house of God, and broke down the wall of Jerusalem, and burned all its palaces with fire, and destroyed all its precious vessels. He took into exile in Babylon those who escaped from the sword, and they became servants to him and to his sons until the establishment of the kingdom of Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. All the days that it lay desolate, it kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. For the chronicler, however, this is not an end as much as it is a beginning. Although we read of the destruction, we read of the exile, it's not without hope of restoration. And indeed, it is the very aim that God has in mind. We often experience the depths of this life that we feel are very much like a hole into which we descend and we feel like we cannot get out of. However, God's grace is that he has and does reach out, reach down and lifts us out back onto firm ground, allowing us to learn and experience from the depths, but not to remain there. As Leslie Allen, the commentator, puts it so well, and will be up on the screen for you, life has its veils of misery which seem inescapable to its victims, but from which one may climb to live again for God by humbly taking hold of his outstretched hand. I look, has the slide stopped, or are we... We're a couple down, Jack, if that's possible. John, some, okay. Come to second service, you can see the slides, which is a bit of a shame because I've got a picture for you next that I'm going to have to describe for you. Okay? Okay, we're moving. Okay, next one. Yay! Okay, there's a picture. The picture is from our Stephen Ministry training. See how I'm getting Stephen Ministry in a lot. We have the mud hole, and you will see the person, the care receiver is in the middle of the hole, and uh, if you sympathize... You're not really with them, right? You can sympathize, but you're not really with them. 
You can over-identify, which means you're in the hole, but you're not doing a lot of good. Or you can be empathetic. And if you're empathetic, you're reaching down for them, but what are you holding on to? You're holding on to the tree, the root of the tree. I want to see who knows what the tree represents. Right, I heard word of God, Jesus, those kind of things, right? That's what it is. In order to help somebody else, we've got to be rooted in the word of God, and we've got to empathize, not telling people what to do, but just empathize with them and reach out with the word of God. We see here God using outside forces, people, and kings to give his people the experience and the opportunity to reach out to him as he reaches out to them. Because his purposes are always at hand. When the word had been fulfilled that 70 years had passed and the time was right, the people were to return to the land as a united people. God was the one who was restoring them. Verses 22 and 23. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put into writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build a house at Jerusalem, which is in, Jerusalem, in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may the Lord his God be with him. Let him go up. This is the after the credit scene I mentioned earlier. And it's more exciting than a trailer for the next movie or all of the Avengers going and getting shawarma, okay? Okay, there's at least three of you that have seen that scene. <laughs> Here, the whole purpose of the destruction and the exile that, the pe that is revealed, that the people would return to the land as a united people to the worship of God, the one true God, to be a blessing to the nations around them and set the scene for the coming of Christ. And it's no coincidence that perhaps these words of Cyrus seem a little familiar in some ways. Because there's a parallel to the words of Jesus in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to absorb all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. God, through a foreign king in Second Chronicles, is making sure that worship and devotion to him, and yes, even disciple-making, is taking place in Jerusalem once more. Cyrus is sending the people back to a land of Israel, as I say, not as a divided people, but as a united people with a purpose of building a temple to the Lord, restoring worship of God, and to be God's people once more in relationship with him. That does sound a lot like Jesus' words to the disciples. They no longer have to build a temple in a particular place. They no longer are restricted to one place, but they are to help to restore the worship of God, to reach out so that more and more people would come into relationship with him. Today, we're still following that same great commission to build and worship, build the worship of God, to be making disciples by being disciples, for God is all about restoration, 
not just bringing back, but making better the lives of his children and the greatness of his kingdom. What better day than Pentecost to be thinking about such things and putting them into practice? So let us be challenged, encouraged as we experience destruction and exile in various forms in our lives. Let's be encouraged that God is our hope and he is restoring now and always. To his name be the glory, the honor, and the praise now and forever. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you just for being you, for being the one true God who never fails, who never falls, who never slumbers nor sleeps, will not allow our feet to slip, and will always be there to reach in and lift us up. Jesus, we thank you for what you have done and are doing, and we so look forward to your return. And Holy Spirit, on this day, on this Pentecost day, on the birthday of the church, we give you praise and seek you in our lives day in and day out. We thank you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.